The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. So Matthew chapter 17 is 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 17, 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to start off this morning kind of celebrating, you know, because this is a big day for us. This is a cool day. And and I want you to know this morning that that new song is doing really good, obviously. I mean, look at this. We're in a brand new building today, and we're already full. There's there's not a lot of room in here. Uh, We're going to have to move to a second service very soon. And we knew that going into here. We knew we were going to be kind of moving into this building at capacity. Uh, And this is going to be a great building for us to move into two services. But, man, we're, we're in such a healthy, healthy place as a church. In fact, we were looking at it this week kind of looking at the stats and different things like that from a year ago. And, and as a church, we have more than doubled since a year ago. Isn't that awesome? And, and, and I love that. And, and, and hear me. I, I know sometimes it's like, well, pa- you know, pastor's all about numbers. And I want you to know I am about numbers, okay? And here's why. Because every number has a name, and every name has an eternal soul. And I would be a bad dude if I didn't want more people to come to know Jesus. That's what this is all about. We want to help people to come to know and walk with Jesus. But beyond just the numerical growth that we've seen, we've also seen some amazing growth in the lives of, of the people of our church. In, in a year and eight months, we have seen marriages restored. Marriages that were at the brink of, of divorce that have been completely turned around. We've seen freedom in people's life. We've seen people overcome terrible things that have happened to them in their life and, and terrible things that were spoken over them. We've seen people be able to step into and walk in new levels of freedom. Uh, we, we've seen Miracles take place in our church, healing miracles. And when I say miracles, I, I don't throw that around lightly. I'm, I'm seriously, miracles, like things God has done, healed people in such a way that you cannot deny God did that. Only God could have done that. We, we've been very blessed as a church. God's blessed us. We have no debt as a church right now. No debt. Isn't that awesome? We're a debt-free church. Uh, in, in our first, in, from, from this point, and listen, we're a year and eight months old as a church. That's a young church, okay? That's, we're just getting started here. But in that time, we have already given almost $75,000 to missions, to church planting, to Israel, to, to, yes, that's awesome. And, and God has been so good to us. And I, I don't say that to brag on me or my wife or our team, really. I, I say it all to brag on Jesus and to brag on you. Because you've allowed Jesus to work through you and in you. And and when we do that, man, God can do some amazing things. But as we move into this season, into this new building, and into what God has for us, um, there is a little bit of a danger that we have to be aware of. And it's the danger of, of, this is the word God's been dealing with me all this week on, it's settling. Settling. In fact, if, if you're taking notes this morning, my message is called Don't Settle. Don't Settle. It's funny, this week I knew that, you know, going the first week in Noah's, we weren't going to be in a series, I was just going to be able to kind of preach whatever God was laying on my heart. So on Monday, I went into Monday, I had no idea what I was going to be preaching on. You can ask the guy, I met with some guys at the gym and they're like, what are you going to preach on? And I said, I don't know, God's got to tell me. And so I sat down and began to pray and ask the Lord what he wanted me to preach on. And here's what I felt like God was saying, we can't stay here. That's an interesting thing to hear when you're moving into a new building. <laughs> God, we're moving a new building. Well, you can't stay there. And here's what God was saying. He's saying you can't settle there. We can't settle. And the story, and I'm not going to preach about this today, but the story God reminded me of is when Abraham was moving towards the promised land, 
And there was a season where he actually rested in a land called Haran, and he set up camp there, and he settled there. And it was a good place, but it wasn't the promised land. God wanted him to go to greater places. God had bigger and better things for him and for his people. And I want you to know, I know the same is true for us today. We can't settle. In fact, if you're taking notes, I got three points for you this morning. That's the first point. We can't settle. We can't settle. We have got to keep pursuing God. We've got to keep moving forward. And I know this is a word for our church, but it's also a word for you individually. Don't settle. Don't settle for your marriage has to be like this. If it's not great, don't settle for that. If your relationship with your kids is not great, don't settle for that. If your relationship with God, listen, don't, don't settle for where you are in your relationship with God. No matter how great it is, don't settle for it because there's greater stuff ahead. Don't settle. We have to keep moving forward. Listen, we have not arrived. We have not arrived. And I don't know that we ever will. I think even when we get to heaven, we will have not arrived. I think we will for eternity be learning more and discovering more about our Savior and our Lord for all eternity. We have not arrived. I don't know that we ever will. And I think that's good. And we have to have the kind of heart that says we haven't arrived and we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep pressing forward. I'm, I'm grateful. Hear me. I'm grateful for what God has done, but I also know that God's not done. He's not done. There's more that he has for us. And if we stay here, if we settle here, then we're going to miss out on some of the bigger and some of the greater things that God has in store for us in the days ahead. Let me, let me illustrate this. Okay, imagine that you are taking your family to Disneyland in California, all right? So you're driving from Oklahoma City to Disneyland in California. This is like a 20-something hour drive. It's going to take you a couple of days with your kids, but you're heading there, right? When you finally get to California, and then you finally enter into Los Angeles. You're well on your way to Anaheim, California, where Disneyland is, and you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you see it. It's this giant billboard. It's got Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and all the characters on it, and they're smiling, and it says, Disneyland, five miles ahead. And underneath that billboard, you see a minivan, a little minivan underneath it, and there's a family and they're getting out of their minivan and they're kind of taking out their stuff and unloading. And you see this and you're thinking, oh man, I, I hope they're okay. Maybe they're having some car trouble. I should probably help them out. And so you pull over your car and you walk up to this family and you're like, are you guys doing okay? Is everything all right? Are you guys having some car trouble? And they look at you with a big smile on their face and they say, we're, we're doing great. We're at Disneyland. We're unloading. We're, we're here. We're at Disneyland. We're so excited. And you're looking at them going, You're crazy. What's wrong with you? And, and you don't know what to say. You're not sure if you should actually tell them because they think they're at Disneyland, but you know that there's something better for them. You know that there's something far superior to sitting under a billboard on the way to Disneyland. And so you tell them, you say, hey, this isn't Disneyland. This is not Disneyland. There, there is something far superior to this that's ahead if you just keep pressing on. But if you're going to get there, you can't stay here. You have to keep moving forward. So, so load your stuff back up, get in your car, and follow me, and let's go. I'll, I'll take you there. I'll lead you there. I'll take you to Disneyland, and it's going to blow this away. It's going to blow you away what's there. Now, in a way, I feel like that's what God is saying to us as a church. This is great, right? This is great. I love what God's doing here. But, but here's the thing. If we're not careful, sometimes as Christians, we'll settle for landmarks, and we'll stop moving forward and we'll miss out on the greater things that God has ahead of us. This is a great day, but this is a landmark. And landmarks are great, but there's a promise ahead of us. And we have to keep moving forward. We can't settle for this as great as it is because it's so great, because God's so good. I know that there's more and we have to move ahead. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 17, I'm sorry. 
Well, let me read this verse first. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. So it's talking about God. It's his power. It's him working within us. It's him working through us. Look at what it says. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's what God wants to do in our life. What we think pales in comparison to what God wants to do. God has much bigger plans for us, much bigger things, much greater things that he wants to do. We can't settle. We've got to keep moving forward. Now, Matthew chapter 17, this is, this is a great story, kind of illustrates this idea. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is where he is going to go and he's going to die on the cross. And he's going to pay for the sins of, of all mankind. Going to do his greatest work, which is de- defeating death and defeating sin and making a way so that we can have liberty and freedom through Jesus Christ. So he's on his way there. But on his way there, he's got his disciples with him. And they have a little stop. And he pulls three of his disciples aside, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up to this mountaintop. They they climb up to this mountaintop. And at the top of this mountain, he's transformed before their eyes. All right, look at this with Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. As the men watched, so it's talking about Peter, James, and John. Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. Now the sun is bright. You can't even look at the sun, right? So he is transformed in front of them. And his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, this is a crazy, awesome moment that's happening here. Jesus is transformed in front of them, and they're seeing uh, the glory of God in Jesus here on earth. And beyond that, Moses and Elijah show up too. These guys have been dead for hundreds of years, right? They haven't been in the picture. And now they're here, and they're with Jesus, and it says they're talking, And Peter is there. He's one of the three disciples there. And he is blown away by this. He can't believe what he's seeing. He can't believe what he's hearing. And he says this in verse 4. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. And I imagine we would probably say the same thing if we were there that day. Lord, this is awesome. What you're doing right now is nuts. This is great. I love this. And look what he goes on to say. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now here's what, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, this is amazing. I love this. This is awesome. I, I don't ever want this to change. So, so let me build something to protect this, and, and let's settle here. Let's stay here. Let's keep it just like this. Now, you can't blame Peter for feeling this way. I mean, he is experiencing something. I, I'm sure the presence of God, the power of God is so strong. I'm sure Moses and Elijah, who knows what they're talking about? We don't know, but I'm sure it's, it's amazing what he's hearing, what he's seeing. And, and realize this too, Jesus is the one who brought him to this moment. Jesus is the one who led him up the mountain to experience this. You know, sometimes in our life, we have mountaintop experiences with Jesus, where God brings us to new places, new places of revelation, new places of freedom. It's these mountaintop moments for us in our life. And you need to know something. When you get to those moments, it's Jesus who brought you there. And so it's not bad what he's saying. It's not bad when he's saying, Lord, it's good for us to be here. But here's the thing. As good as it is, that experience is not where he's supposed to camp out and and stay. Because there's more that God wants to do. In fact, just think about it. If that's where it all ends right there, then none of us can experience salvation like we can today because Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. If Jesus settles on the top of that mountain, then his greatest work, which is ahead of him, never gets gets accomplished. God didn't send his son to, to this earth so that he could settle on a mountaintop. 
He sent him to purchase our, our freedom and purchase our salvation. And beyond that, not just Jesus and what the work he wanted to do, God wanted to do through Jesus. God has a work that he wants to do through Peter's life. There's things ahead of Peter. His greatest ministry days are ahead of him and he doesn't even know it. Peter can't settle on this mountain because yeah, there, there's some things that God wants to do. There, there's, a, there's a guy he's going to meet, a crippled guy. He's going to meet at a gate called Beautiful. And this guy's been crippled his whole life. And he's going to be begging and asking Peter to give him some money. And Peter says, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give you. And he, and he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that man is healed and it shakes up the whole city. It's an amazing moment. Peter can't stay on the mountain. If he stays on the mountain, he misses out on that. Peter can't stay on the mountain because there's, there's a lady living in the city called Joppa and she's this really sweet lady and she makes clothes and she's very generous and she's going to be a part of the church when the church begins. The church hasn't even started yet, but the church is going to begin and she's going to be a part of the church and then something tragic is going to happen and she's going to die and Peter's going to hear about it and he's going to go to her house and he's going to go in and he's going to pray for her and she's going to be raised from the dead. It's an amazing moment. Peter can't settle on the mountain. Peter can't settle on the mountain because there's a guy named Cornelius who's an Italian uh, Roman officer. And he, he, he's, he's a pagan man. He doesn't, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know the one true God. He's served many different gods. But he's going to meet Peter and Peter's going to teach him the gospel message. And he's going to get saved and he's going to be the first Gentile convert. That's a big deal because everybody up to that point thought it was just for the Jewish people. But now the Gentiles, which is a lot of me and you in here can be saved. And he was the first Gentile convert. Peter played a part in that. On the day of Pentecost, when, when 120 are filled with the spirit and they begin to speak in new tongues and everybody's hearing this and they don't understand what's going on. And they, they start asking questions. Peter gets up and he preaches and 3000 people come to Jesus in one day. Not too long after that, he preaches and 5,000 men come to Jesus in one day, just men. There could have been as many as 15,000 people that got saved at one, at one meeting. Peter can't stay on the mountain because there's some things that God wants to do through his life that if he'll allow God to use him, God's going to use him in some powerful ways. And listen, the same is true for me and you. We can't settle here because God wants to use us to reach more people. God wants to use our lives to change other people's lives. He wants to help us. We've got to continue to keep pressing forward and pressing on into the greater things God has for us. We can't stay here. So number one, we can't settle here. Number two, we have the difference. We can't settle here. Why? Because we have the difference. We have the gospel. We have the message that the world is desperately, desperately looking for. Second uh, Kings, I told you to turn there earlier. This is an incredible story in Second Kings chapter 6 about, about a restoration that God does in the lives of some people. And, and let me set this up for you. So um, there was a famine in the land of Israel. And the capital city of, of Samaria, and to make the famine even worse, they were surrounded by a Syrian uh, army that was basically starving them out. They had surrounded them to keep them from, from being able to leave and go out. And so they, are, they, have, they have no way to, to, to re-resource themselves. They have no way to get more food. And, and slowly but surely, they are starving to death. And it is getting really, really bad. Look at this verse, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 25. It says, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Okay, so let me, let me <laughs> help you understand this. So it was getting so bad that when a donkey 
got so skinny that it eventually just died. They would take that donkey, they would cut it up into pieces, and they would sell the pieces, and, and people were so desperate for food that they would, they would buy these pieces and, and eat this donkey. And the head of a donkey was going for 80 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money back in the day for the head of a donkey. I don't know about you, but I gotta be pretty hungry if I'm gonna eat the head of a donkey. But this is what's going on. It goes on to say this. It says, and one-fourth of a cab, or that means a cup, of dove droppings. We're talking about dove (laughs) poo-poo. Dove droppings for five shekels of silver. People are eating dove poo. Things are bad. I mean bad. And And it goes on to say this. If you continue reading, it says that they were so hungry that mothers were actually eating their children. It was bad. They were desperate. They were starving. If you cooked food, you, you couldn't cook food at this time because if people smelled food coming from your house, they would literally break the walls, the, the doors down and break into your house and steal your food from you. It was a bad, bad situation. And the king of Israel at this time was a wicked king and he blamed the prophet Elisha for what was happening. It was actually Israel's fault that they were experiencing this, but he was blaming the prophet for it. And so he was going to the prophet Elijah's house and was planning on killing him and God gave the prophet a word. He says this in uh, 2 Kings 7 verse 3, or sorry, verse 1. Listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Here's what he's saying. Everything is about to change. No more dove poo-poo. It's going to get good in about 24 hours from now. Salvation is on the way is what he's saying. Now, they have no sign of this at that time. But he's saying salvation is on the way. Now, the story goes on. Let me read this to you. 2 Kings 7 verse 3 says, Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out to the, and surrender to the Armenian army. If they, if they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So here's what they're saying. We have leprosy. This, we're going to die anyways. If we stay here, we're going to starve to death. If we go into the city, we're going to starve to death. If we go and, and see, maybe, maybe the Sumerians will have, will have mercy on us and give us some food. But even if they don't and they just murder us and kill us, we were going to die anyways. What do we have to lose? And so they walk out towards the Sumerian army. And, and they come over this hill and they see the camp where the Sumerians are. And, and they find that it's a ghost town. That all the people are gone. There's nobody there. And and if you read the story, at night what happened was God caused the Sumerian people to hear the sound of God's heavenly army. Realize that God's heavenly army is kind of a scary sounding thing, I'm sure, right? Especially if it's coming against you. And so they heard the sound of heavenly hoofbeats and marching men. And it was so terrifying to them that they fled. And when I say fled, they didn't pack up and leave. They just booked it out of there, left everything behind. And this was a big army and they were a well-resourced army because they were trying to starve out another country. So they had an abundance of food, of clothing. They had gold and silver with them and they left it all behind. And so these, these lepers come up on the city and they find this amazing huge camp full of abundance and nobody's there. And so they just start living it up. 
they just start eating stuff and enjoying stuff. It says that they actually took some of the gold and silver and they buried it. They hid it away. And they're just, they're just consuming. They're just enjoying. Like, listen, this is a work that God has done. And you need to understand something. Here's the thing. The miracle has been accomplished, right? The, the salvation that the people of Israel need is done. It's accomplished. It's, it's already been accomplished. They just need somebody to tell them that it's there. They just need somebody to let them know salvation is here. It's here for the taking. But these guys are just living it up. And, and listen, if that sounds familiar to you today, it, it's for a reason. Because that's exactly where we find ourselves today. As Christians, salvation has come. And we have, an ans- we have the answer that the world is looking for. There's a world out there that is hurting and dying and starving and desperate and is eating each other alive. And they're looking for an answer. And we have the answer. We have the difference. We have the message that they need. And they just need somebody like us that would be willing to go into their world and say, hey, there's a better way. Jesus, you can turn your life over to Jesus. You can surrender your life to him and he'll come and he'll help you and he'll change things for you. He'll bring freedom to your life. He'll help you. He'll, he'll turn everything around. You just, salvation is here. Come and receive it. And so these lepers, they, they find themselves, you know, kind of enjoying this, consuming, consuming, consuming. And then it dawns on them what's going on back in the city. In verse nine, it says this, finally, in other words, after a while, they said to each other, this is not right. Look at this next verse. This is the day of good news. Good news. This is the day of gospel. This is the day of salvation. And look at what it says next. And we are not sharing it with anyone. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they go back to the city. They let everybody know. The city comes flooding out to the camp. And sure enough, just as Elijah had prophesied, it comes to pass. They're flowing in abundance to the point that the barley and the grain, everything goes way down in price because they're so blessed with so much abundance. Now, here's the thing. As I read this this week, I thought, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, we as Christians, sometimes we can step into the role of the lepers in the story. We can find ourselves uh, finding freedom in Jesus Christ and finding salvation in God and finding these things and finding a church where we can lock arms with other believers and it's so good. And, And we tend to sometimes we just kind of keep it to ourselves we kind of turn inward and we just kind of settle for it being about us but that's we can't do that listen this is good right this is great what we have and it's too good for us to keep it to ourselves there's people out there that need this they need what we have they need what God has done we have the difference and we have to share it we can't keep this to ourselves We can't settle here. We've got to go tell other people about it because the day of salvation has come. It's here for other people. We've got to go out and tell people. You know, there's people out there and they're just like you. They don't know Jesus, but they're just like you. They won't have a good marriage. They didn't get married just to have a miserable life and to not get along with their spouse and to eventually get a divorce and have a brokenness in their family. They, they They didn't want that. They don't want that. There's people out there, they're just like you. They love their kids. They don't want their kids to get into drugs and have a terrible life and get into messes. And they don't, they don't want that for their kids either. It's like you don't. There's people out there that they, they want to live for something greater than just themselves. They want to know that their life is worth something, that there's a significance greater than themselves that they can be a part of. They're just like you. Listen, there's people in this city and they're new song people. They just don't know it yet. Somebody's got to tell them. And that somebody 
is me and you. We have the difference. We have the good news. We can't keep it to ourselves. We have to share it. We have to take it out beyond these four walls, beyond our life. We have to get it out there. We have to help other people. We have to bring them into the salvation that Jesus has purchased for them. So we can't settle. We have the difference. And here's point number three, make a difference. We got to make a difference. We're called to be difference makers. Uh, Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter five. He talked about our role as Christians. He said that we're called to be salt and we're called to be light. That's what we're called to be. Now think about those two things. Both of those things are difference makers, are they not? I mean, you, you take a light and you, you bring a light into a dark room, even a huge dark room. You bring one little light into that room, it's gonna change that room. And, and people in the dark room are gonna be drawn to the light because it's, it's a difference maker. T- take something like salt. You put salt on something that's like bland, it doesn't taste very good, and what does it do? It, may, it brings flavor out of it. It causes it to taste better. It brings flavors out that sometimes you don't even know that are, that are there. It's a difference maker. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be difference makers. So how do we do it? Well, that can be the scary part because we look at the world around us and sometimes you, know, you, you, you hear the news and you hear the reports and you have your Facebook feed and all your different stuff and, and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming, right? You, you hear the statistics of what's going on in the world and it's like, how can I do anything that's actually going to make a difference in this world. Well, what can I do? Well, I believe that there's three things that we can do. Three mindsets that we need to have as Christians that will help us to step into the role that God's called us to be in being a difference maker. And here's number one. Start small. Start small. You know, sometimes when we think about being a difference maker, we think that we need to find something really significant and really big and, you know, find that big thing that's going to make a huge impact on the world. And, and that's, that's great. But what I see in Scripture is most of the time, God is always calling us to see the significance in the small. God makes a big deal out of small things. And, and the things that we overlook sometimes are the things that God has called us to not overlook and to see the significance in. You think, you think about God. First of all, God, the God we serve knows the number of hairs on your head. Uh, that's a God who pays attention to the small things, who pays attention to the details. The, the, the Savior that we follow, Jesus, said that the kingdom is for kids. He, he pointed people that, that had this, this wrong view. He said, no, it's not about that. It's about this. We need to have... A, we need to be like these little guys. We need to see the significance in these little kids, what they bring to the table. He brought, brought the focus off of some of the things they had focused on back to smaller things. Uh, we, we read a Bible, we study a Bible that tells us that if we can have faith like a mustard seed, which is very tiny, that God can do powerful things in our life. Uh, our Bible points us to, to seeing the sparrow and seeing the small things. God's constantly pointing us to the significance in the small. And so if we want to make a difference, we got to start small. We got to see the importance and the significance in the small. The Bible says this in Luke 16, 10. It says, unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Colossians three twenty three says this, servants do every task with equal dedication. Whatever they do, servants, do it with all your heart. If you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things we see in the life of Jesus is that he would, he would specialize in the menial tasks that other people tried to avoid. He would wash people's feet. He would 
minister to little kids. He would fix breakfast. (laughs) He would serve lepers. That's a Jesus. That's our Savior. That's our Messiah. That's what he did. That's how he lived. And we're Christians. It means we're called to be Christ-like. That's the call that we have on our life, to see the significance in the small. In this world where it seems like, what, what, what is, it? is this really going to make a difference? We have to see that every little thing does make a big difference. I read this story this week about um, this little boy who was on a beach. And this old man was walking down this beach, and he, he saw this little boy, and this little boy was taking starfish, and he was throwing them out into the ocean. And so the, the old man is walking down the beach, and he sees this little boy, and he's looking around. And the beach at this point is just covered with starfish for some reason. And, and it's miles that way, just starfish, miles this way, starfish. And he sees this little boy chunking these starfish out into the ocean. So he walks in, and he's like, son, what are you doing? And he says, well, you know, the, the sun's up, and the tide is going out, and these starfish are going to die if somebody doesn't do something. So I'm throwing them into the ocean. And the old man looks at him and says, son, you see all these starfish? You see this, all this beach? Like, you could do this all day. What difference does it make? And the little boy kind of stood there for a minute. And then he looked down, and he picked up another starfish, and he chunked it out past the waves. And he looked at the old man, and he said, it made a difference to that one. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we, we see the big problems of this world, and we think, what difference does it make? What if it makes a difference to that one? That one that God's got on your mind right now. That one that God's called you to reach. We have the difference. We gotta make a difference and we do that by starting small. Number two, start close. Start close. Uh, Jesus said this to his disciples when he was talking to them about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and what they were going to do and what they would need to do to carry out this gospel message. In Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, what Jesus did here is he showed them kind of how this would work and it would start with Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where they were when they heard this message from, from God. And he was saying this, I want you to start where you are. I want you to start close, and then we're going to work our way out. But we're going to start here. We're going to start in, in our home. And, and, and so Jerusalem is, is like your, your family. It's your city. Uh, Judea and Samaria is like your, your state. It's like your country. And then the rest of the world is the rest of the world. We're called, but, we're, but notice we're called to start close. You know, I'm a pastor of New Song Church, and, and I, I'm grateful for this calling. I love this. I really do. I love what I get to do. I love getting to pastor this church. I love it. But I want you to know something. My greatest role in pastoring is the role I have in pastoring my wife and my kids at home. That's the number one call on, on my life. Outside of my relationship with Jesus, that's the number one group of people that I pastor. And, and it's my role. It's my job, my responsibility to pastor them, to make sure that they're being fed, that they're being shepherded, they're being watched over. That's, that's the call on my life. And listen, sometimes I think if we're not careful, we give everybody else our best and our family and the people closest to us get our leftovers. We, we give our best to our employees. We give our best to our employer. And then we kind of come home and we just kind of settle into ruts. 
And we, we allow ourselves, we allow the enemy to kind of put thoughts into our head that we settle for that keep us from being the difference makers God called us to be close at home. We get mentalities that say stuff like this. Well, you know, it's, it's the church's job to disciple my kids. Listen, hear me. I love your kids. We make a big deal at this church out of discipling your kids. I hope you know that. We're not babysitting your kids in those rooms back there. They are being taught the word of God. They are being discipled. We are doing everything we can to make sure that the seed of the word of God is planted in them every chance we get with them. But listen, we don't get many chances with them. Not like you do. And understand this. God didn't give your kids to New Song Church. He gave them to you. And I've been a children's pastor before. And I'll tell you, the way it works best is not you as a parent backing up what the church is doing. It's the other way around. It's us as a church backing up what you're already doing, what you're already instilling in them at home. You guys following me? We're called to do that. We're called to to minister and disciple our kids. We're called. Are, Are we settling? Are we settling in the relationships that are closest to us? Are we, are we starting close? Are we, are, we, are we ministering to our wives, to our spouses? Are we ministering to, our, to the people around us in our world? Are we settling for a mentality that says, well, that person, you know, at my job, they don't know Jesus, but somebody will tell them. That somebody is you. Are we settling for a mentality that says, well, somebody else will serve. Somebody else will give. Somebody else will, will, will go. Somebody else will do it. That, that, that's somebody, listen, that somebody is you. And we start close. We start, we have good news, and the good news is for our family. It's for the people around us. It's for the people in your workplace. Start in your Jerusalem. Start at your home. Start in your workplace. Start in your school. Start there, and then we work our way out. That's what God has called us to do. We start small. And number three, we start now. Start now. If we're going to make a difference maker, we gotta, if we're going to be difference makers, we have to start now. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said this. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, so here's what he's saying. We're all workers together with God. We're partnering with God. We're co-laborers with God. And and we can't co-labor with God in vain. We've got to keep pressing on. And then he quotes from Isaiah 49, verse 8 in this next part. He says this. He says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Isaiah 49 was saying that, that someday in the future that God was going to, there's going to be a right time and God was going to help his people to do what he's called them to do in a, in a greater way. And look at what Paul says next. Behold, now. Everybody say now. now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now. Everybody say now. Now, now is the day of salvation. Turn to the person beside you and say, now is the day of salvation. Turn to the other person and say, it's today. It's today. This is the day of salvation. Salvation has come. Freedom has come. It's there. It's there for the taking. It's there. We have the good news. There's a world that's dying and hurting, and we have the good news. And we got to share it. We can't stay here. We can't settle here. We can't settle for this. Listen, in the next few weeks, we're going to be telling you about we're rolling out a second service. We have other plans that we're going to be rolling out that you're going to hear about over the next several weeks. The things God is stirring in our heart to do, to continue to grow this church, to reach more people, to reach teenagers, to reach other people. There's things God wants to do in this church, and we want to be a part of it. We're not going to settle. We're not going to stay here. And I want you to know something. We want to be healthy. 
As a church, we value health. Healthy things reproduce. And we want to be healthy. I don't know what kind of church background you've come from, but I want you to know we want you to be healthy. If you're healthy, you're going to produce health in the world around you. And so we need everybody to get on board. The more people that get on board, the healthier it'll be, the better it'll be. We need everybody pulling their weight, everybody doing their part. We need all of you. We must press on. We haven't arrived. This is good. This is awesome. Listen, I'm, I'm grateful for what God's doing in this building. I want you to hear me mark my words. This, uh, this is something God told me this week, and I'm, I'm telling you, I hope we outgrow this place quick. I hope we're not here long. Why? Because the world needs us to not be here long. The world needs us to outgrow this place. The world needs us. People are dying. People are hurting. People are lost. People are hurting so bad. We have to make a difference. Let me, let me end with this. Um, history tells us that when Spain was, was a superpower in the world in the 15th century, that they thought they were kind of the ending, the kind of the drop-off of the world at that time. And they had this kind of arrogant quote that they put on their coins uh, at that time. And it said this, it said, ne plus ultra. And it meant this, it meant nothing further. It was their way of saying, you know, Spain was the ultimate in all of the world. Well, not too long after this, uh, the new world is discovered and they realize that they are not the end of the world. They're not the end all be all. And so they changed the inscription on their, on their coins to say this, plus ultra, meaning more beyond. I, I want to make sure as a church that, that our, our motto as a church is plus ultra. It, it's not, you know, it's not that we've arrived. It's that there's more beyond. There's more out there. There's more people that need to be reached for Jesus Christ. There's more experiences. Listen, there's more experiences God wants you to have in, in bringing his gospel message to the world. You know, I bet it was cool for Peter getting to do some of the stuff he got to do. Seeing people raised from the dead, I bet that was pretty awesome. Being a part of that was awesome. I could tell you as a pastor of this church, seeing what God has done here so far has been really fun and really awesome. But there's more ahead of us. There's more God wants to do. Plus ultra, there's more beyond. We have to press on. We have to keep moving forward. So church, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's, let's lock arms with God. Let's lock arms with each other. And let's win this city for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning in this message? Maybe you find yourself here today and, and you, you can see some areas of your life where maybe you've settled for some things, settled for some ways of thinking that God is saying right now, don't, don't settle there. Maybe you're in, a, you're in a place of life where you feel like you're settling into, well, I, I can't do that anymore. Maybe the young people can do that, but not me. Or maybe you're settling into the lie of, well, I can't do that. I'm not old enough. Maybe the older people can do that, but not me. Don't settle. We, we must press on. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Lord, we thank you this morning for this amazing place. And we take a moment today and we dedicate this this building to your purposes and your plans. We thank you, Lord, that, that the amazing things that you did at Haskell, uh, you're gonna do here. And that the amazing things that you do here, you're gonna do in another building down the road. That you're gonna continue to use us and continue to work with us to, to build your kingdom in this earth. And so we say to you, God, that we wanna be used by you. 
We want to be your hands. We want to be your feet. We want to be your smiles. We want your words to come out of our mouth. We want to be used by you in mighty ways. And so God, we invite you into our life. We invite you to help us to reach out. Help us to reach the area of influence that you've placed in front of us. Help us to see that it's time. The time is now. Help us to start small. Help us to start now. Help us, God, to see what it is you've called us to do, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do. We give you praise and glory and honor for the the best days are the next days. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.